Just a note to let you know this episode contains topics that some may find triggering. If you need support, please head to the show notes where you can find a range of mental health support contacts for both Australia and worldwide. Welcome to Behind the Smile with Ash Butters, a podcast designed to reveal the truth behind the masks we wear. Together, we look to demystify the human mind and its behaviours in relation to mental health, trauma and addiction. My name's Ash and I'll be your host as we uncover the real stories of people's pain and the steps they've taken to live a life of freedom in recovery. From sobriety to spirituality, join me each week as we uncover the reasons why people seek recovery and how their lives have changed by living one day at a time. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Smile. Today I'm being joined by Luke Bayliss. Luke made the decision to get sober on the 1st of November 2022 after years of struggling with depression, anxiety and eating disorder and addiction. Today Luke is a sobriety advocate who is on a mission to share his story so it doesn't become yours. Now, dialing in from the UK, I would love to warmly welcome Luke onto the show. Good morning, Luke. It's bright and early. Welcome to Behind the Smile. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having How me on. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I mean, it's still dark outside here and uh, it's raining, so not, not exactly. I, I bet it's nice where you are, obviously, in Australia. We're, we're starting to warm up. I live in Melbourne, which is down the south end of Australia and we tend to stay cooler for a longer period of time. So what are yeah. we now? Yeah, moving into November, it's like just starting to warm up now, which is really, really nice. But um, wow. yeah, it's uh, we had daylight savings tick over as well. And I think that always makes a difference. It's nice to be able to wake up to a bit of light and then get home from work. Well, I mean, I work from home, but you know, <laughs> <get up laughs> the the day when I leave the studio, the yoga studio at night, it's still light and that's really nice. So yeah, yeah we're kind of swapping turns now with you. Oh, over in it's the, the opposite here. As soon as our, uh, as soon as our clocks go back, it's literally dark at like half four in the afternoon and it's just like, that's wild. Oh no, I'm such a summer person as well. Like getting up at like five and getting outside. And now I'm like, uh, do I want to go outside in this? Like, literally yeah. rain dark cold but yeah have to do it is, it, so have to do is it. it true that people in the uk and or in europe in general get seasonal depression so when it goes into those winter months it's mm-hmm. really yeah your mental health really there's a lot of this i mean uh i haven't got into it too, too deeply but there's a lot as well about the moon and the different like so when you're going from like summer to autumn and so forth there's a big shift in energy so um I notice it a lot as well like your mood does go a lot more calmer a lot more inward a lot more you're meant to spend that time reflecting and uh, and re- rebuilding your energy but um yeah we definitely get it here I think it's because it's so dramatic from summer to winter such a difference that it's like yeah whoa. yeah I, I remember being in the UK during it must have been one of the first warm days of the year and I just remember I was in London and everybody went to Hyde Park and had this yeah yeah it's either like six layers or nothing (laughs) yeah yeah i love it i love it i'm super pumped for this conversation today and i'd love for our audience just to get to know a little bit more about you so can we kick it off with where do you live exactly we know you're in the uk but i want to know where what does an average day look like and what do you do for fun okay so things look very very different nowadays to what they used to as you'll find out um 
I'm originally from Stratford-upon-Avon, um, Shakespeare world. Uh, I grew up there. Yeah. And then I ran off to London when I was 20 to study music and I was there for about 12 years. Um, but then, as you'll find out in my story, uh, when things got pretty tough, uh, I left um, rehab hospital, the Priory, and I came to live in Wales where my parents live. Um, so I'm currently, it's a, it's a funny time at the moment because I'm currently still in Wales. So I've been here about a year. Um, but I'm now at that point where I'm ready to move on. So I think I'm going to be moving soon. So that's good. Um, where are you now, moving to? Um, do you know, well, you you won't know, sorry, but uh, Henley on Thames, basically. It's like, a, it's a really nice part of the world. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to be moving, moving there very soon. But I mean, nice. Wales has been great. It was like a reset button, you know. Um, and for fun now, very differently to back in the day. So I'm one of those annoying, cheesy morning people where I get up, I bounce out of bed, and then I get outside at like half five, go for a run. I love, like running's my thing now. Absolutely love it. Training for a marathon. Um, yeah. And it's all about just being outside as much as I can, really. I, I'm a musician, so I play a lot of guitar, but now it's more of a hobby, but that's great. I've refound that since I've gone sober because I put that on the shelf for so long, as you can imagine. Um, and just connecting really like I mean I've got a, a lot of sober uh, you know friends that I've met on from the sober community that now are like you know we've got a deeper connection actual true friendships uh, rather than those you know drinking friendships that we always used to have um, and yeah I mean even this weekend we're going to the local forest here my mate's coming down to see me he's going to stay over and then we're just going to go out and hike all day um, climbed Snowdon not so long ago you know things like that Things that I always thought what I would never, ever, ever like doing. I'm now that I'm now that person. <laughs> yeah. So back in the day, would you look at those like really fit, healthy people and just think, oh, what losers? No way. I'd be like, what are you doing? Why would you want to climb a mountain when you could be in the pub? And now I'm like, why yeah. would you want to be in the pub when you can climb a mountain? Do you know what I mean? So. It's amazing that shift in mm. mindset, isn't Ugh. it? absolutely crazy like we'll get into this but I I think I even said once don't trust people who don't drink I mean why would I say that you know and then now I'm yeah. like that is me yeah, um, yeah. so yeah like I said yeah so from Stratford-Bonavon living Wales at the moment but I'm moving um, and my uh, interests and things that I do now are so different like yeah so exercise um hiking stuff like that i've just recently started a sober platform um which we can talk about um just yeah. just to, just to try and build a sober community about around connection really so i'm head first into that um what inspired you is that that sober life yeah sober life guides yeah so um me and my, my other half jess we were just like right we really want to do something what can we do? What's the most important thing? It's all just around connection, connection, connection. You know, when you're feeling alone and you're first starting out, you need connection. So we're just building a, you know, an online community, really, just for people to chat, share their experiences, help each other out and give guidance, That's really. Unreal. And did yeah. you meet Jess when you got sober or beforehand? When, we, when I got sober. So uh, relationships in the past have been very, uh, yeah, not the best, a bit toxic all around everything's around drinking and hangovers and silly arguments and now I met Jess we met um at a sober event and we just oh, yeah wow. it's pretty mad yeah and we just clicked um and from being sober I mean I sound like a, another cheese ball here but you just don't have that that drama and that toxicity of of some relationships in the past and we just it's just all very chilled 
which I'm not very, I'm not really used to. I'm, I'm in a sober relationship as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Like you just don't have those ridiculous fights. There's no, you touched on the connection piece, but also the communication piece. Like for me, I've never been in such a healthy functional relationship. Yes. And I truly believe like number one, we're both sober, but number two, we're also both active in recovery and we continue Mm -hmm. to do the work. So we get to grow together, which I think is really, that's amazing. That's what it is. I mean, um, my other half, I won't go for too long, but she's also got a, ADHD and she's also got um, PMDD which is like a around menstrual cycle and it's all it's basically mm-hmm. like um, BPD or bipolar it's very similar um, mm-hmm. I'm not a professional so I don't know if that's right but um, so I've got ADHD and psychothymia she's got PMDD and ADHD and it's like what well, should this work but it works perfectly because she understands me I understand her and I think if we were neurotypicals, I don't know whether you'd be like, I mean, you'd probably run a mile and be like, oh my God, like your mood's so up and down, but we kind of sink somehow. <laughs> I don't know, yeah, you yeah. almost just get it without even needing to say <laughs> it's anything. It's weird. You understand what the other one's yeah. going that's, that's amazing. It's quite an interesting one, isn't it? Mental health disorders combined as a relationship, but it seems it's working perfectly. So. <laughs> I love we'll to see. hear that. I love to hear that. <laughs> now, Luke, you do have a big story, and I really want to dive into that today. But before we do, I've asked you to bring in a photo. Oh, this photo dear. is from a time in your life where you were hiding behind a smile. So you were presenting one version of yourself to the outside world, but the reality was you were really struggling on the inside. Could you please describe for our audience who may be listening and not watching right now? What does this photo look like? Describe the photo and then also let me know what was going on for you at that time in your life. Okay, so this photo to me, it, 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 I, I use this a lot because it's so, I actually did a before and after. So I took this photo literally just before I went to the Priory, which is a mental health hospital, um, in case you guys don't know, because I know you're in Australia, obviously. Um, mm. This is just before I went into hospital. And then I took another one exactly, um, well, it was about, yeah, about nearly a year later. Um, and the before and after is just incredible. Anyway, so here I am. I'm two stone heavier. My face is huge. How many kilos is that? Do we know? What's the conversion oh. of stone kilos? I know. I never know when you guys say stone. I don't know. I know. Oh, that's so old school, isn't it? I should say, I think he, oh, I wouldn't like to say 90 something. I think I'm now 83 or so. Anyway, yeah. Wow. So okay. 14 so pounds. Amount. Mm, 14 pounds okay. is a stone. So, about so seven, seven-ish <laughs> kilos. Okay, we're going to butcher this. Everyone, ignore us. Continue. <laughs> yeah, afterwards, I'll be like, damn. Um, yeah. So quite a lot heavier. Um, my eyes. It always can tell in the eyes, can't you? My eyes were almost like in like in my body it's a, I don't know how to explain it anyway I look very 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 unhealthy unwell sad I I always say like so much sadness in a smile like mm-hmm. you see a smile but you can tell in this photo that it's so much sadness going on behind it uh, I'm wearing a mask entirely like I just I look so unhealthy so sad um I'm really I'm overweight so at this time, um, I'd literally just come out of a, uh, almost like a breakdown. Um, and my parents kind of grabbed me from my house and like took me to theirs. And this is a photo of me there. Um, and then wow. after this, I then, this is why it's quite relevant. After this, I went home and I then stayed isolated in the house, drinking, drinking, drinking again. And that's when I fell to my knees for another second time. 
and then I went to the ho a hospital, inpatient hospital, for six weeks. No, four weeks, sorry. Four weeks this time. And that's when everything changed. So this photo is like the pinnacle moment just yeah. before the rescue mission. Um, and I was just, yeah. I mean, I, I was, unfortunately, I was someone who isolated. So I didn't, it wasn't social anymore. It became about survival. I was in survival mode. And I took it to a place where... I wouldn't be sat here right now if I hadn't got the help that, that I've got. Um, so I was very lucky. Um, so not going on too 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 far from what you said, but yeah, it's an awful photo. I look. I always said it like Humpty Dumpty up with a hangover. I don't know. It's Humpty Dumpty. Humpty Dumpty yeah. had a great fall, and I'm like, I look like Humpty Dumpty had a fall off a cliff in this photo. So yeah, um, really Humpty unhappy. Dumpty had a big night. Yeah. Oh, oh God, yeah. Luke. <laughs> wow wow thanks for sharing yeah. that it's um no yeah like looking at you now through the screen they look like two completely different people so it's congratulations mad congratulations on your recovery and all the work that you've put into getting thank you yeah um, my niece saw this photo and she was like she wouldn't she wouldn't uh she wouldn't allow us to say it to me because she was like that's not you that's not you Luke mm -hmm. that's not you and I was like do you know what I don't look like me anymore it's weird yeah, the transformation's well, incredible yeah. And now you're more reflective of the real you. The outside oh, yeah. starting to match the insides, which is really nice. I was never me ever. Yeah, yeah. So, so Luke, I'd love to take it back then. Can you yeah. help me understand what were some of the significant moments throughout your childhood that influenced the person that you grew up to be who became dependent on alcohol and other substances? Mm -hmm. So for me, I... Um, growing up from a very young age so i mean primary school here what is it the age of four three or four and i remember from the age of four to 11 which is primary school i have vivid memories of going home <clears throat> crying my eyes out not wanting to go to school uh i was a very naughty child i think it was just all about attention um because i was overweight and i mean at that age looking back it's so silly because who knows like you just big big kid or things like that but the kids used to, to bully me quite badly. I mean, who? what do you label bullying? I always used to thought, oh, they would just take, you know, it was a bit of whatever, but it used to really affect me. Uh, I remember we went swimming once, and I think one of the kids made some uh, comment about, oh, have you weighed yourself recently and stuff like this, and I'm only like six, seven years old. And, yeah, so it was just, it started from there. Very unhappy, didn't like going to school. Um, and then when I went to secondary school, high school, um, it continued so it was like it cemented in my brain if these kids are saying it and the last kids were saying it then I must be overweight and uh, and um, ugly and I just hated myself um, and then I got to the age of 14 and I was like right I've had enough of this so I basically started I just starved myself so I just didn't eat um, and then when I had to eat when I got home my parents uh, I, I then found out that I could throw up you know be sick uh not a nice thing is it but um and i remember we used to go for family meals and we'd eat and then i'd go to the toilet and then per, you know uh get rid you know like be sick and then i'd go back to the table and i remember having bloodshot eyes and thinking oh are they gonna know that i've been sick or blah 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 and no one ever said anything but they must have known because it was just all the time um so yeah from that i was very insecure um 
had no confidence really. Um, I mean, I was one of the popular kids, but it was like it was like my friends that were bullying me. It was really weird. Anyway, um, so as soon as I had the opportunity, well, as soon as I sampled alcohol at the age of like six, seventeen, sixteen, it was like a switch went on, and it was like right, this makes me feel so much more comfortable, makes me feel more confident, makes me feel like all that awkwardness and self-esteem issues like they just kind of floated away so to me it was like it dug its claws in me very early on um and then it just went from there so college was like 18 years old um and that's when I, I found alcohol and drugs and things and it was just like I wasn't just uh doing it rec I wasn't just doing it to have fun with my friends I was doing it to feel better in myself so it was all about self-soothing I was basically self-medicating and that's why we'll get to this. But I wish I'd been diagnosed with ADHD at this time because I, I would have been able to hope I could have prevented so much pain and, and anxiety. And, you know, if I'd have just known what was going on. But because I had no idea, I just thought everyone was the same. I was like, oh, everybody's insecure and wants to drink to have a good time because our culture is so, especially in England, our culture is so drink, drink, drink. You know, if you can't drink eight pints with your mates, then you're you're not man enough and all this absolute rubbish. So it was all around drinking from a from a young age, um, mm. and then yeah. So, um, Luke, can I pause you for a second? I want to yeah. go back to something you said early on there, where you said from a really young age I, I needed attention. Mm. Yes, and and that played out in disruptive behaviour is what I was picking up there. What do you think it was about little Luke that craved attention? I I think personally, I actually think that, like, A, I was ridiculed a lot. So I, I had friends, but I even remember vividly that we had this game where we'd be like, there's three of us, and we'd be like, oh, let's fall out with Luke today. And they used to, like, fall out with me for no reason whatsoever. And then it'd just be like, what's this? You know, it'd be weird. So I think it was just the, the environment that I was in school. Um, and then also... My home life was amazing, but, you know, my dad was very much work, 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 work. And he was very, he's very, he's, better, he's not like that now, but he was always very old school, very like, you know, it was the whole concept of if you cry, you're not a man or manner. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And I used to get in trouble at school and then like he'd see like the comments and he'd like go absolutely ballistic at me and things like that. And I'm not blaming my my family. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying that I think maybe it was more about like I was reached. I don't, I think it was like, give. I think I wanted validation. So I think if people, if I was disruptive in in school and I was the class clown, I was trying to make people laugh. And if they laughed, it was like validation that actually I can be likable, do you know? Do you know? So, um, yeah, that's exactly what it was. Like if the if the teacher said don't go on the climbing frame, I'd be there at the top straight away. And it was a mm. bit of a like. It, I think it's been the same my whole life. It's like validation. Like I think like if people, I've got rejection sensitivity as well through ADHD, which we'll get to. But it's this constant thing of like overthinking, wondering what people are thinking about you. I'm not, I'm, I'm fine now, but I used to be really bad and and presuming the worst all the time, catastrophizing. And I think I can remember being like that from a very young age, like the question you've asked like it was just always about I think validation trying to make my head real like trying to calm those 
that awkwardness in my head and those thoughts that people don't like me. I think it was always like, if people laugh, they like, it's like they like me. Do you know what I mean? So very unhealthy way of trying to get to trying to feel good in yourself really, isn't it? But And did that then exacerbate any sort of anxiety disorder for you? Because I imagine that it would be quite unsettling to have this really busy mind that's constantly telling you that people don't Mm. like you and that you need to be this and that and you're not good enough and needing validation. And I can imagine that would have been quite unsettling. Yes, it was. I mean, I got diagnosed very late with depression and anxiety before I got diagnosed with ADHD. Um, But I, yeah, anxiety massive. I mean, I uh, was always very awkward. Like, I used to do public speaking, which we'll get onto about when I used to work, and I was terrible. I was standing in front of everyone, and that's like before they'd even looked at me, I had catastrophized that it had been a disaster. It had never going to go the way that I wanted it to. I can't, I can't actually like uh, function as a normal human being. I've always got to say the wrong thing, or I've got, I could never stand still or sit still. I mean, even now I'm moving my legs, which is quite funny. Yeah, so I, uh, anxiety from a very young age. I discovered music at the age of 15, and that's where I just immersed myself into that world. The kids would be playing football in the playground, and I'd be in the music room on my own with headphones on playing guitar. And that's quite a good like example, really, of what it was like. And then I just had hyper-focus on it. So I'd play guitar like six, seven hours a day. Like, like you know, every whenever I wasn't at school, I was playing guitar. So it was like wow. this escape, this world of like... Instead of being with the kids after school outside, I'd be in my bedroom playing guitar at this age, you know. So, um, uh, yeah, anxiety, 100%. But I think I covered it with music and then obviously alcohol. So it was like I never really sorted it. It just I put I just doused it with petrol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And then with the eating disorder, I'm really curious. Do you think that your family didn't say anything because they didn't have the tools or was it taboo? And I, and I ask this only because I had a similar experience. I was yeah. uh, restricting and purging at around mm-hmm. the same age, 13, 14, 15. And I remember my parents weren't actually capable of sitting me down and having a conversation. So how they approached it was I remember it was a Sunday evening and 60 Minutes was doing a special on eating disorders mm. and my parents made me watch it. Oh, okay. We, ne- we never spoke about it again. And I, I always think back to that time, it was, you know, we now have so many more tools and, and my dad's in recovery and we, we have a really open, beautiful, healthy level Amazing. of communication within our family system. But back then we didn't, We you know, and you, you only know what you know, right? So, again, yeah. I certainly don't blame them, but I'm just curious, what do you think the reasoning was for your family not to ask what was really going on? Well, what, what actually happened um, is that, it was, yeah, exactly like you've just said. There was, the thing with my family is my sister, my eld- I've got two older sisters. My eldest sister has bipolar type 1 and she was always, um, tr- like, getting into trouble and so forth. And because my dad was so busy with work, which is amazing because, like, he, that's how he works every hour that, you know, there was. And my mom ha- looks after us. That's cool. But there was never really that kind of, like, it was very... My, my dad always struggled with emotions, so he'd never be able to sit me down and have a a, a, a kind of 
discussion around things like this. It was always swept under the carpet. And I think my mom was so anxious about what my dad would think, she kind of ignored it. Does that make sense? Um, I had an accident once where I got hit by a car, but I was out um, with my friends when I shouldn't have been. And um, I was like crying and things. I'm going off topic here. But um, and my mom's exact words were, just don't tell your father, don't tell your father. And I was like, obviously, in a bad way. And that's a great example of what we're saying. It was never discussed. It was brushed, you know, under the carpet. Um, But there did come a time where I lost so much weight. I remember I was lying on the sofa watching telly and obviously my T-shirt must have risen up or whatever. But um, you could see my hip bones. um, And I'll always remember this. I was only about 15. um, And my mum said, right, Luke, it's the only thing she's ever said. She said, right, if you don't start sorting your eating out, we're going to have to get your help. And that's when I thought, oh, okay. And then I sorted it out but enough to cover it so it's a more of a masking again i'll be like right best eat for a bit then and my mind was like this like like this evil like like we'll eat enough so they won't recognize anymore and then we'll stop eating again and that's gone on my whole life up until like the age of i mean i'm 37 now i reckon into my 30s i used to work not eat all day and then um feel good like i'd feel proud of myself for not eating all day that's the mindset I had. It was crazy, absolute craziness. So that's why they never said anything, but they did say that that one time, and that's when I kind of changed, and, and it wasn't so bad anymore. It wasn't so obvious, sorry. Yeah. And so you mentioned you found alcohol, and that was almost like the solution to mm-hmm. this mental torment yeah. that was going on for you. And tell me about what that progression looked like because i imagine you started drinking and you know you weren't a daily drinker yeah exactly yeah so it was all all binge drinking obviously from a young age um i discovered alcohol i also discovered other things um substances and things and it was always head first for me so what started out as at the weekends, I remember my friends would be like, oh, let's get on it this weekend. And that would be the frame of the mindset. But then the next day I'd want to carry on. Like with me, it's always been carry on because I can't handle hangovers. I always want to self-soothe. So if I wake up feeling rough, I'd carry on. And I did this from this age as well. I remember always taking it too far. We'd go out and have a, a big drink. My friends would stop and go home. I'd always drink in the morning to try and feel better. And then I'd probably just go to bed and sleep it off. And that's how it crept up, started off like that. And because you're at that age where it's almost acceptable because you're young, it's fine. Um, It was fine, so I just carried on. Now, I started drinking a lot all the time. And the best way to cover up a drink problem is to socialise a lot. So I had a big group of friends. We'd go out all the time. At 21, I bought a new car. I think my parents were like, get a car, because they thought we'd stop me drinking. I brought a new a new car, um, and after having it for a month, I went to the local town, got drunk, drove home like an absolute idiot. Um, I went round a corner too fast, and I crashed into a house. Um, and oh my I, yeah, I, I wrote this is like a real massive thing. This is I, I still don't forgive myself for this. Yeah, all the self forgiveness stuff. Um, anyway, I crashed into a car, a, a house, <laughs> not a car, um, and I panicked. I got out, and I it was like a, a, a war zone. Like, seriously, like, it was like there was dust, bricks, mortar, like, breeze blocks. I remember there was blocks everywhere. It was, it was very bad. He wrote the car off anyway. It was a brand new car, you know. Um, the police came. I got arrested. I spent a night in the cells. I um, had to go to court over it. The engineer said that he um, 
looked at the building and he said that if I was a certain amount of inches to the left or right, I'd have gone into the building and I would have killed myself and the family that were inside. Mm. Um, the, the, there was a couple inside who had a dog and he'd been downstairs not long before to let the dog out. And they said that like if he hadn't have gone back upstairs, then who knows what would have happened as well. So absolutely horrific, like terrible. Um, and obviously nowadays that would be a very massive eye-opener for me and I'd stop drinking, but I buried my head in the sand and I just thought, right, what am I going to do? I'll tell you what, I'll just, I'll just bury it. I'll bury it deep inside. I won't acknowledge it properly. I'll run off to London. So, yeah, so, um, I mean, the house had to be propped up as well. It was that bad. It was really bad. Um, and it was in my local village as well, so my parents were, like, mortified. Um, oh, so I got banned from driving and a massive fine and all this kind of stuff. Um, and then, because I'm a musician, well, because I was a musician, I ran off to London to do a degree in music. So from there, I went to London, lived with my best friend, who's, an, like, we were like brothers, but we were exactly the same drink 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 so all we did was drink and I was really in a bad way back then I used to go to lectures drunk I used to and because we perform I used to have like to me performing well after a few drinks I performed better so that whole time was all about alcohol as well and then um went on to work in London and that was the same so it's gone from, it started as a recreational kind of, I feel better, it's fine. And then it's just progressed very quickly, very, um, like, what's the word? Um, it became who I was. I, I define myself as alcohol. Like, that was me. It, it was all about that. And every opportunity, I used to sneak off to the toilets to drink in rehearsals so that I'd feel better. I mean, they must have known. I look back now and I think, oh, at the time, I thought, oh, I'm all right. I'll just put a chewing gum in. I must have, it must have been awful. It must have been so obvious, but no one ever really said anything. Um, so it just progressed from there. So what should have been, I should have stopped it after the accident, just got worse and worse and worse. And I just drank all the time at every opportunity. I used to go out in uh, the local city. I'd, I'd be gone for three days. I'd come back on a Sunday night looking like a warmed up corpse. And I'd just like levitating like Dracula and then go to sleep for two days. And it, you know, it's a really sad thing to look back on. I'm doing a life yeah. journal over it because I thought, right, I want to be accountable and I want to go through all these things that I've done because I don't want to bury them deep anymore. So I'm writing a lot. So I'll go through all that and I have to sit in it. And I think back now and I'm like, my God, how did I do all that? And no one, like, I'm not blaming anyone else, blaming myself, but how can it get that bad so quickly for such a long period of time and not and just ignore it? I just ignored it completely. So I was wearing this mask, like we said, constantly, constantly. And, Luke, was that desire to want to drink to that extreme being driven by your need to self-medicate? Was it yeah. mental health stuff that was really sort of what was driving yeah. you? Massively. So um, when, when I went to the, I've been to the Priory, which is a, a mental health hospital. I've been twice. First time I went for six weeks for addiction. I came out, uh, had a breakdown again and just uh, it all went completely wrong. Went back again, which was only last November, November 1st, I went back. And that's when I got diagnosed with ADHD. Um, and Oh, wow. So it was that recent. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very recent. 
And there's a huge thing around SUD, AUD, so substance use disorder. Um, if you've got ADHD, there's a big, big, big link between the two, which is obviously what I had. You know, it's been diagnosed. And, um, so it's all around self-soothing, self-medicating. Now, my mental health, my executive uh, functions, basically the, the management system of my brain in regards to goals, regulating emotions, there's like six. Sorry, if I'm, if I'm going off on one, please tell me, but... So keep going. Your executive functions are um, it's basically if, if your brain was a company and your brain's the headquarters and you split the brain into different kind of um, what's the word departments um, to, to help the company achieve their goals, achieve success. Um, and you'd have those managers. So you'd have six managers. And if the brain's that, you know, it's these six managers, like for neurotypicals, these six managers work perfectly together. So they all work in harmony and sync. They're amazing, you know. Uh, and for, pe for, for people with ADHD, me specifically, personally, talking about me, mine don't work together very well. They should all be like either sacked or put on some sort of like, you know, people <laughs> or something. Anyway, yeah, and it... And it's around, you know, working memory, self-awareness, self-motivation, inhibition, regulating your emotions. Um, I've forgotten one. I always forget one. But uh, working memory. There you go. I forgot one. Um, and these are the things. <laughs> uh, um, so inhibition, massive with inhibition, self-awareness, self-motivation, um, you know, uh, uh, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Like it, it doesn't work properly. So I was I was self medicating. My dopamine levels, if they were a set of scales, mine were tipped to one side. Constantly chasing dopamine, constantly chasing um, things that make me feel better. So if it was cake, or if it was beer, or if it was drugs, or if it was blooming, I don't know. My favorite magazine. It was always head first. It was. It was never a normal kind of progression it was go 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 gadget you know take it yeah, too far yeah. um and um yeah so and also i've got rsd as well rejection sensitivity dysphoria which i won't go into on here because we'll be here all day um oh, please can you just give me a top line i'm fascinated okay so i'm quite controversial with this right so rejection sensitivity Rejection sensitivity is a massive, massive thing with ADHD, okay? So we've all got rejections. Well, not all of us. Me personally, I've got really bad uh, rejection sensitivity. Now, I think that's due to growing up, past traumas, as in bullying, yeah? I'm not blaming everything on that, but I'm just saying it's a contributor. Con contributor. Uh, uh, and um, that plus my environment growing up and the things that I've done and experienced, I think that's part of why i'm so sensitive yeah why mm. i see things in a way that i do i see the worst in things blah 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 um and that is the thing but there's also a thing called rejection sensitivity dysphoria right which a top professional created um and basically the outlook on that is that you're born with it it's nothing to do with trauma you're born with that it's part of you and it's and basically there's a lot of thing around where therapy doesn't work if you've got RSD, you've got RSD. It's got to be medication, and it's it's a part of you. Not nothing to do with trauma. Now, I think personally, I'm not a professional, but um, I, you know, I, definitely trauma has has made a part of it. And also, I've had a lot of therapy, a lot, a lot of therapy, and I know for a fact that's helped me massively. 
massively. So I normally just say rejection, rejection sensitivity. I knock off the dysphoria. I'll probably yeah, get loads of hate right. for saying that, but. <laughs> no, thank you for explaining that. That's yeah, super that's, interesting. That's, that's RSD, yeah. Um, and yeah, so now, so, yeah, I've gone off topic like, now, sorry. That's okay. I'm just so curious. So please tell me if I'm asking too many questions around no, mental health. No, ask anything you want. Completely open book. The cyclothymia, am I yeah. saying that right? Yeah, cyclothymia. Was that diagnosed at the same time as ADHD? No, so I went to, um, I my whole life I had cycles, right, of where I'd be like absolutely fine and then I'd hit the old effort button and then I'd be like, right, go. And then I'd have cycles where I would drink and take drugs constantly, not care about the repercussions. And that would go on for three, two weeks to start with, then I'd be fine. I'd do it again, three weeks, do it again. And so it got to a point where I did it for six weeks straight waking up drinking, drink, 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 drugs, 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 and I fell to my knees, and that's when I had a breakdown and went to the Priory. So um, I've forgotten the question now. <laughs> and uh, psychothymia, sorry. And then, uh, <laughs> and then uh, when I went to the Priory the first time for addiction, I'd been a, a, on a six-week spiral of constantly drinking. Like I'm talking constantly drinking, constantly taking drugs. I'm surprised. I'm, you know, I'm so grateful to have come through that. Um, anyway, so, um, and they, uh, and I got diagnosed then with psychothymia. And they, that's basically bipolar type 3. It's quite a, they say new, it's, I don't think it's, it's very odd, but um, it's basically cycles of being ex manic and cycles of being depressed. So very high, very low. Um, it's cycles of that, um, but it's not like bipolar type two or bi bipolar type one in regards to they're not so dramatically high or low. So bipolar type one um, is, is the most severe. I, from what I know, I'm not a professional. Um, and then bipolar type 2, it's to do with differences in uh, how often you have these cycles and things like that and how severe they are. Psychothymia uh, is like a lessened version. So you're not so North Pole, you're not so South Pole. So they basically um, diagnosed me with that saying that I was having cycles of highs, cycles of very low, self-medicating because of that. And then that's why I was having these cycles of these things. But when you've got psychothymia, there's not really a reason as to why you have these cycles. So you'll wake up one morning and you'll randomly be really low, but you won't know why. Whereas we then discovered when I went back for a second time, there were a lot of reasons why I was having these cycles around personal stuff, around my environment, around things. And I had, I saw an ADHD specialist and he said straight away, this is ADHD, it's not psychothymia. But then they're linked so there's, there's oh, God, i'm going on here i'm so sorry right but they're oh, linked. it's fascinating <laughs> so psychothymia and adhd and things like a lot of a lot of this, uh, mental health disorders there are it is a lot of links to adhd so it's all kind of like relevant um mm. so now i'm kind of like they they're, i've been told i've got adhd um strong you know adhd and then um i've got traits of psychothymia so I mean, I don't know how to translate that specifically, but um, I I have both apparently, and I am on medication for both. So um, okay, that was going to be my next question. So yeah, medication's a good one. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, so psychothymia, bipolar type three uh, plus ADHD. Um, yeah, makes a makes a very great <laughs> makes a great I mean working men great brain An to have, isn't it? Concoction. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'd love to know. 
what for you was the biggest game changer out of all of that? Was it the diagnosis of ADHD? And Mm. what has the treatment plan been for you to make such a profound recovery over the last 12 months? So when I went to the primary the first time, it was like game over. I mean, I shouldn't say that, but it was so bad. It was like you either stop drinking and and taking drugs or you're going to die, basically. So that was the thing. And then I just, and then I came out and I was in denial. So I was doing it for everyone else. I was doing it for my family and everyone who put me in there. So um, when I came out, I then had the biggest rock bottom I've ever had in my life. And then I went back again. And that was when it was like, right, what's going on here? And I by luck actually i had a one-to-one therapy session with someone who specializes in adhd and he is incredible he was like abc i've had so much therapy but never ever clicked nothing ever like i was always like mm, yeah mm. this guy his name's dominic he's unbelievable he basically said do you feel like this 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 is this, this. i told him my life story and stuff and i was like yeah that's me that's me all over do you feel like you're self-medicating do you feel like you're constantly feeling like this and i was like yeah and he was like, I think you've got ADHD. So I did a uh, written, they did, I did some work, you know, some uh, tools. I don't know, we spoke about it a lot. And, and then basically I had an external assessment with a top psychiatrist in London. He's amazing, very expensive. But, um, and I had, it was so thorough. I spoke to him for like six, seven hours over two sessions. So wow. yeah, this is the importance you see like with ADHD is you ha- it has to be really thorough really thorough you know anyway and um it has to be affecting a lot of the areas as well it's not just like oh i don't feel like i'm very attentive at times that's not adhd that's just life you know but this is like anyway um so i had i had that and then the minute i was put on medication so i was put on a um stimulant called um alvance list amphetamine and I was put on that, and the minute, I swear to you, I say this, and people are like, they, they find it hard to believe, right? But the minute, not the minute, but as soon as I took that medication, a light switch went on. I, it's been a year in November 1st. I don't even think about drinking in that sense. I don't ever have any cravings. I don't ever want to drink. Don't ever want to take drugs. Don't ever, I wake up now, and I'm just like, I feel balanced. Does that make sense? So it's yeah. like... As soon as I had that medication and the second time around in the primary and I was like, it wasn't all medication. It's been my mindset and what I've done since. So we can talk about that in a minute. But that that medication has just been a lifesaver. Literally, Mm -hmm. literally a lifesaver. A lot of people are pro meds or they're con meds. They've got a lot of things. And fair play, it's for the individual, isn't it? It's whatever works for you. But I had no choice. I was at a crossroads. I was either left it's the end or right okay let's just try this and I tried it and I've never looked back that's Mm. that's literally the honest truth it's been amazing it's fascinating I'd love to know your opinion Luke it feels to me right now in this moment in time that almost every person I speak to is going to the doctor getting diagnosed with ADHD and I and I have no experience personally Mm. so I I don't I don't judge it I don't like it it is what it is but I'm I'm something in me is like surely this can't have come out of nowhere for this amount of people but maybe it has And, and like what are your thoughts around all of that and you know if someone's listening who perhaps is in that boat where they're like you said, they maybe they've struggled to focus and there's a few things that they've heard are related to ADHD, but it's not the full picture. Like what sort of steps would someone take to exploring this avenue in more depth? Okay, I'll, I'll try not to go on a rant here, but basically 
ADHD <laughs> has become a bit of a hot topic um, because everyone's gone so aware now of, of these things. The problem is, is lack of education, which is fair enough because, I mean, I wouldn't go and randomly look up, I don't know, some sort of disorder, you know, mental health disorder I don't have because why would you? But there's not enough, there's not enough education on it. People aren't really aware of the ins and outs of what it means. Uh, there's a lot of stigma around it. Naughty kids, lack of focus, laziness, all this kind of rubbish. And it's not about that at all, you know. Anyway, so a lot of people are going to their local GP. The GPs, you, the GPs are then referring them. And it's just gone a bit mad. Now, the reason why I've, it's made me so, it's so relevant to talk about this is because there's a national shortage of ADHD medication. So... Someone, I'm not saying I'm more important than anyone else, yeah, but because of me, I feel like that's my lifesaver. I can't get my medication, so I'm actually in the moment talking to my doctor who has to talk to a psychiatrist. My psychiatrist is £200 for 20 minutes. I can't afford to go and talk to him about redoing medication. Um, so they're talking about putting me on something completely different, which is not good. And this is all around what we've just said, the hot topic of ADHD overdiagnosis or a massive increase of diagnosis and that's fair enough because there are a lot a lot of people who have got ADHD yeah I'm not denying that no not mm -hmm. denying that but I think there's this there's just been this like hot topic thing where it's being thrown around the message isn't there like like if you've got ADHD you have to have it severe enough that it affects your life in a negative way yeah so it, it's not just it's not just hyperactivity or I lose focus or oh, I've lost my car keys again or um, oh, everyone always says, I've got that. I, I, I'm like that all the time. I must have ADHD. Like, no, like I've just said to you, it's about the workings of your brain. It's about, it's a lot of so many things and and it is it is annoying, yeah. So, I mean, if you think you've got ADHD, what I would suggest is what I did is I buried my head in in education for myself, self-motivated learning. So I listened to a lot of podcasts on ADHD. I, I read loads of stuff. And then you'll get to a point where you know what to filter out because there's a lot of mis misinformed, what's the word? <laughs> a lot of, a lot of things. And, yes. So there's attitudes, right, which is the main massive, 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 massive. But there are things on there. God, I'm going to get cancelled. <laughs> If there are things on here, you won't be able to edit. You won't be able to post it. There's things on there that are very internal. So you'll have you'll have like this RSD thing was created by someone who's in ad a attitude, and then the source will be someone else who's on attitude. So so the the backup uh, science isn't always there. RSD hasn't got that much research into it, which is why you get miscommunications, blah, 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 blah. So if I was you, I would listen to a podcast called I Have ADHD, um, and it's with Kristen Carter. Her name's Kristen Carter. She's incredible, and what she does is she um, debunks it all, says it how it is, and there's actually a, a series on executive dysfunction, um the series on i mean she's got adhd she's a life coach all this stuff anyway um and i just listen to all of her stuff because she's amazing awesome. awesome she's amazing thank you for that yeah i'll put yeah. all of that info i'll pop that link in the episode show notes so people can check that out if they're interested that's super yeah helpful. thank you luke and so you spoke about this different mindset approach that you've now adopted over the last 12 months. And I want to know, like, tell us, share with us the ins and outs of how you have had such a profound shift in your life, because 
It's incredible. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, yeah, I look back at the last year and it's literally like 10 years poor rolled into one. <laughs> <laughs> it feels um, like that, doesn't it, early recovery? Oh, it's crazy, <laughs> absolutely crazy. Um, yeah, so basically, um, such a big shift because I just, I mean, unfortunately for me, but I actually think it's very fortunate. Like I had a, I had a, what I call a sledgehammer moment where it was like, I have to sort myself out or I'm not going to be here anymore. And I think that's sometimes... Obviously, it's horrible and horrendous, but I'm so glad because it's made me sort myself out. And it's really, but it was like a opening doors to life. You know, I was like, right, I need to get out these, get out there. So, I, um, I just put pillars, key pillars, into my life, and I was like, what am I going to do to get myself better? So I was like, structure, routine, penciling milestones. So always have something in the calendar to look forward to. Um, have goals. And all around different things. So connection for me is so important. Sorry. What are some examples of the milestones and the goals that you set for yourself? Mine was, I had, so mine was around physical health, mental health. I mean, this is, I I, I decided this. This is, someone didn't tell me, but like physical health, mental health, and then like personal goals around my life, yeah, my lifestyle. So mental health, obviously, I've told you all about that. Um, So that was all about learning, 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 therapy journaling gratitude things like that then uh physical health i was too stone heavier my blood pressure was through the roof my heart rate was terrible and i was having palpitations i had liver damage that luckily was repairable but i had liver damage um and all this kind of thing and i basically dropped the two stone um through consistency exercise lifestyle changes diet then my blood pressure is absolutely perfect now my heart's perfect now. I had an ECG, um, and my liver has fully repaired, and it's only been however long. It's only minor damage, right? But um, so yeah. So what, what, I can't remember the question. That's incredible. How did you do that? Like, so you set yourself the goals, but how? Like, what? What did you actually do? Like, did so, you mentioned running. Yeah. So morning routine for me, morning routine, evening routine, morning routine, 5am club. I got up at five every single morning, no matter what, forced myself, had to. Got outside, um, natural sunlight, great for your body clock, blah, blah. And then you go for a run. I went for a run. I started out walking because I um, I wanted to be accountable. So I was like, I'm going to raise money for mental health. So I did, uh, you know, the charity Mind, if if you know that Mind UK, uh, or whatever, I raised money for them and I did it by walking. So I was like, right, awesome. I can't run. I've just been like, I'm like, I was like two stone heavier and I was really like unhealthy. So I just walked, yeah. walked, 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 walked. I just kept walking every day. And then I post it on Instagram, which is probably very annoying to people, but it was accountability. So I was giving myself, I was, people would ask me if I didn't post. So it was like forcing me almost, but I was doing a good thing. So I did that. Um, and then, diet and then I went on to running so I was like right I'm gonna do a half marathon there's the milestone split it into like little milestones 5k well however long and then I'd hit that and I was lucky that I had a group of friends um one of them's a running coach so we were all accountable there we were talking messaging all the time and then half marathon next is a marathon you know I, want, I started hike started hiking I'll climb a mountain. So I've done Snowdonia me and my friend Robbie are going to do Ben Nevis next year so things like this Mm. that make you happy but also boost your mental health boost your physical health keep you on the straight and narrow 
And it's just all, I mean, that's basically how I did it, to be honest. And just connection. Don't suffer in silence. Don't be on your own. Never be on your own, because that's the problem for me, was the problem for me. And get on a sober platform. There's so many now, so many different things. I'm not plugging mine, I'm just saying. <laughs> I, connected, I connected online uh, through uh, a platform called Dry, uh, which is just incredible. It's amazing. Yeah, pink, shout out. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Matt is an absolute legend. I love Matt so yeah, much. He is. Yeah, the show. We love him. Yeah, so that's that was the big thing for me. Dry, um, I got on dry, um, and then through that, like, I was, I'm now a life member where I do I help out and things like I covered Matt's morning live a couple of days ago, and awesome. things like yeah, things like that. So it's amazing, and I connected through people. So on that platform, I think that helped me probably the most, and then obviously consistency, routine. Learning about my brain, learning about everything to do with yourself, what you're going through, and basically reaching out. Don't don't be on your own. Mm. I can't remember what your question was. Now I've just gone off for like. <laughs> I answered it perfectly. I wanted to know like, that what what did you do that was tangible that people could listen along to and perhaps replicate. And I love what you said about literally just getting yourself up every morning, staying consistent, staying yeah. accountable, walking, connection. Talk to me about vulnerability. How, like, what, how's that played an importance over the last year for you? <clears throat> Absolutely huge. Like, I always talk about this. Like, vulnerability is the sh showing vulnerability is the strongest thing you could ever do. Like, um, and we have this perception that it's a weakness. Now, obviously, it's for men and women, but being a man and knowing what it's like, uh, especially here, you know, in this country. Um, lads are too scared to speak up about their feelings they feel like they have to carry this burden on their own they feel like they're going to be seen as weak if they don't speak out about their mental health and it's absolute rubbish it's just rubbish and all it does is just build it up inside you until you to do what i did and you just like lose lose it and end up self-medicating all the time i say i know so many people who just go out at weekends and they just fill their lives with toxicity like poison just to forget about the week you know and forget about how they're feeling inside so vulnerability is huge and i isolated for so long that i nearly ended it all and now i'm sat here talking to you and the reason why i'm sat here talking to you is because i showed my vulnerability i showed i showed my feelings i reached out and it, all it takes is a message you don't have to call anyone just drop a WhatsApp to someone and say, I'm really struggling here, mate. And then luckily my parents were so supportive. So I spoke to my dad, you know, and that's made us closer. We've connected through that. And vulnerability for me has been huge. It's been a lifesaver. Um, and that's why, like, the stigma around blooming, don't talk about your feelings, like, be a man, crying's a weakness. It's absolute, I swear, rubbish, absolute rubbish. So for me, vulnerability is like a massive thing, massive thing. Like, it's changed my life. It's, it's ridiculous. So powerful. how mm. so powerful. It mm. amazes me how when you show up vulnerably, it almost gives the other person permission to let down their guard as well. And that's where, like, you touched on that beautiful connection starts to form. Exactly exactly and this is why it's like if you're thinking of going sober or if you're in a rut and you're feeling like hopeless like it's such it's like i think who says this it's steve -O. it's like jumping in a, in a pool 
Like, if you think about jumping into a cold pool too much, you're never going to dip your toe in, are you? So what do you do? You jump in. And as soon as you've jumped in, yeah, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, it's cold. But give it 10 minutes and you're warm. You're glad you did it. It's great. You know, you don't want to get out. But <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but um, that's what it's like. Don't, like, you have to, like, I, I was in such denial and I hated the fact that I was showing vulnerability. That's why it got to the point that it did drinking constantly on my own in the dark room for six weeks horrendous as soon as I reached out and was vulnerable like and showed strength now look massively changed my life around massively so yeah I mean what what was the question again you said I've got ADHD I just go off on one you answered the question you answered it perfectly (laughs) just how vulnerability played out in your life there you go yeah I've got one last question for you before we wrap up today yeah. This is a question that I ask all of my guests. So I'm really looking forward to hearing your answer on this one. What are your three non-negotiables that allow you to live your life today happy, joyous, and free? Non-negotiables. Um, so non number one. Right. My non-negotiable is isolated on my own, being on my own. That's, no, no, hang on. I've done that the wrong way around, haven't I? <laughs> Not being- your own right not being on my own non-negotiable is connection so it's, it's got to happen it's got to happen I'll reach out to people like talk it's just been amazing so yeah don't isolate ever again mm. uh number two is i mean non-negotiable is a hard word self-forgiveness mm. i i find it so hard to forgive myself about the things i've done because we haven't even touched on it today really but Self-forgiveness. Now, I think, yeah, self-development in that area. So non-negotiable for me is working, carrying on, being consistent in regards to working on me as a person, like forgiving myself, you know, and being accountable for that. So that's number two. Uh, Number three, non-negotiable. Never, this might be the same as number one, um, never let things spiral out of control without addressing them straight away. I'm never, ever going to... Never, yeah, never ever ignore ignore things, you know. I mean, like relapse and stuff. You have those thoughts weeks before you even pick up the drink. Recognize them, nip them in the bud, talk about it. Connection, you know, um, and that's what I'll never do ever again. I'll never suffer in silence. That's why I'm on podcasts. That's why I'm doing what I'm, you know. I'm trying to spread the word of like, do not suffer in silence. Show the strength and vulnerability and yeah just reach out because it's it can get so bad so quickly you know what i mean so yeah, yeah. thank you luke that's my awesome. absolute pleasure perfect perfect message to end on today we say here on behind the smile that when we recover loudly no one needs suffer in silence so thank you so much for being here with me today and for sharing your story i really absolute, appreciate it absolute pleasure absolute pleasure thanks luke Thank you. A big thank you for tuning in today. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so by hitting the follow button and leaving a rating and review. Each rating and review helps this podcast become more discoverable so more people can hear these stories of strength and hope. Together, we will continue to remove the stigma around mental health, trauma and addiction. Remember to reach out to those you care about and I'll be back next week. Until then.